The Radio Memories Network is brought to you in part by Liberated Syndication. Podcast publishing made easy. Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. The Radio Memories Network welcomes you to the earliest days of radio. All this is still ours today through the Radio Memories Network. It's now time for Radio Drama, where we perform on the stage of your mind. The curtains are your eyelashes, your hat our fly space. Different parts of your brain are the costume, set designer, and makeup artist. And your eyes are in your ear. Audio plays have been broadcast since radio began. Minus, minus, Join us as we continue the tradition on the Texas Radio Theater. Cliff Broughton, Space Ranger! I'm the Whisper. It means murder, Watson. Onward to adventure! Away! Because it's not only the theater, but it's the theater of the mind. The mind! And that's what I'm writing Jump for. Jump Frog! Renegade! Ready for impact in three, two, one. <clears throat> Tying on the rope now! It's the realm of your imagination where anything can happen and usually does. Next up, the Texas Radio Theater Company performs The Hound of the Baskervilles. It was recorded in front of a studio audience in September and October 2003. My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, friend and chronicler of the famous Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Together we uncover diabolical plots, apprehended villains, and solved countless mysteries. But if ever I questioned my friendship with Holmes as a blessing, it was in our encounter with the Hound of the Baskervilles. I will tell you what happened. Holmes was usually up very late in the morning, except, of course, when he was up all night. One such morning in the autumn of 1889, he was seated at the breakfast table, still dressed in his dressing gown. Upon entering the room, I found and picked up a thick, bulbous-headed walking stick, which a visitor had left behind him the night before. Well, Watson, what do you make of it? Dear me, I, I believe you have eyes in the back of your head. I have, by looking at your reflection in my silver coffee pot. Oh, I see. Yes. So, Watson, what can you tell me of the stick's owner simply by an examination of it? Well, the inscription reads, To James Mortimer, MRCS, from his Friends of the CCH, 1884. I think that Dr. Mortimer is a successful elderly medical man. Uh, this looks like a mark of appreciation, so he must be very well esteemed. Good. Excellent. Oh. <laughs> and, um... Since the stick seems so knocked about, I should also think he practices in the country where he does a great deal of visiting on foot. Perfectly sound. Ah, yes. Um, and uh, this Friends of the CCH, I should guess that it's something-something Hunt. Those who gave it to the stick, as, 
A gift. Oh, really, Watson, you excel yourself. I confess, my dear fellow, that I am very much in your debt. Oh, dear me. Holmes, that's quite a compliment. Coming from you. Allow me to have a look at it with my glass. Of course. Interesting, though elementary. As you can see, there are certainly one or two indications upon the stick, which gives us the basis for several deductions. So I hope I didn't overlook anything of consequence. I'm afraid, my dear Watson, that most of your conclusions were erroneous. But you when said I that said that you stimulated me, I meant that in noting your fallacies, I was occasionally guided towards the truth. Oh. Well, not that you are entirely wrong in this instance. Oh, that's good to know. The man is certainly a country practitioner. And he walks a good deal. Then I was right. Only to that extent. I would suggest, for example, that a presentation to a doctor is more likely to come from a hospital than from a hunt, and that when the initials CC are placed before that hospital, the words Charing Cross very naturally suggest themselves. Hmm. You may be right. Yes. And since the presentation has been made but five years ago, there emerges a young fellow in his thirties, Amiable, absent-minded, and with a favourite dog. That's something between a terrier and a mastiff. Now, Holmes, how do you know he's amiable, absent-minded, and has a dog? Well, it's been my experience that only amiable men receive such testimonials. The walking stick's presence here indicates that he was absent-minded enough to leave it yesterday. Well, true, but how about the dog? Well, come now, Watson. Well, that's child's play. Well, surely you observed the teeth marks on the stick. See? Oh, yes. We'll pair them up, and you can see they are too broad to be a terrier, and not nearly broad enough for a mastiff. I'll just take it over to the window for more light. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> In fact, it's a curly-haired spaniel. You can't be sure. Well, I can. The dog and owner are at our doorstep right now. I saw them walk <laughs> up the street. And here he is now. Come in. Ah, oh, you have my stick. I'm so very glad. I was wondering if I'd left it here. I wouldn't lose that stick for the world. A presentation, I suspect. Yes, sir, from Charing Cross Hospital on the occasion of my marriage. Oh, dear, dear. Oh, that's bad. Bad? Why was it bad? Only that you have disarranged our little deductions. Your marriage, you say? Yes, sir. I married and so left the hospital. It was necessary to make a home of my own. Ah, so we're not far wrong after all. <laughs> uh, Dr... Mortimer, Dr. James Mortimer. I'm now in practice in Devon, at Grimpen and Dartmoor. I came to you because I am presented with the most curious and extraordinary problem. Extraordinary, you say? Yes. I have in my pocket an old manuscript. Uh, it's a family document. It was committed to my care from Sir Charles Baskerville who died some three months ago in Devon. Oh, yes. I, I remember reading about that. Mr. Holmes, until his sudden and most tragic death, Sir Charles was my patient and also a close friend. He was strong-minded, shrewd, practical, and as unimaginative as I am myself. Oh, come now. Yet he took this document very seriously, and his mind was prepared for just such an end. And what end was that? According to a certain legend that runs in the Baskerville family. <clears throat> oh, dear. I'm not planning to read that. Uh, yes, Mr. Holmes. It tells the story of the death of Hugo Baskerville. Hugo was a wild, profane, and godless man. It happened that he fell in love with the daughter of a yeoman who had property near the Baskerville estate. Uh, this girl avoided him, and one Michaelmas, he and five or so of his wicked companions went to her farm and carried her away back to the manor. 
locking her in an upper room. While Sir Hugo and the others were downstairs, the girl climbed down the ivy and set off homeward across the moor. Go on. Sometime later, Hugo went to see his captive and found her gone. Here, I must quote the manuscript itself. Must you? Uh, Yes. Uh, uh, Then, as it would seem, he became as one that hath a devil. For rushing down the stairs into the dining hall, he sprang upon the great table, flagons and trenchers flying before him, and he cried aloud before all the company that he would that very night render his body and soul to the powers of evil if he might but overtake the wench. Oh, dear me. And at that, Mr. Holmes, this wicked man ran from the house, mounted his horse, and unkenneled the pack. You mean he put the hounds on her? He did. He gave them the girl's handkerchief and set off over the moor after her. It's barbarous. To think the others didn't try and stop him. Well, not at first. But a few of them came to their senses and rode after him. Eventually they found Hugo's black mare, dabbled with froth and riderless. They also found the hounds whimpering in a cluster at the top of a dip, or goyle as we call it. Three of the boldest riders rode down the dip, and there they found the unhappy girl lying dead with fear and fatigue. The poor girl. But that wasn't the sight that raised the hair on their heads. Allow me to quote the actual words again. Pray, how can I prevent you? But it was that, standing over Hugo and plucking at his throat, there stood a foul thing, a great black beast, shaped like a hound, yet larger than any that mortal eye has ever rested upon. And even as they looked, the thing tore the throat out of Hugo Baskerville, on which it turned its blazing eyes and dripping jaws upon them. The three shrieked with fear and rode for dear life, still screaming across the moor. The writer ends by counseling his descendants never to cross the moor in those dark hours, as he puts it, when the powers of evil are exalted. Great heavens! Don't you uh, find that interesting? To a collector of fairy tales, I hope it is something more modern and practical upon which you wish to consult me. A most modern and most practical pressing matter, which must be decided within 24 hours. It starts with the death of Sir Charles Baskerville in the June of this year. And many people had good reason to be saddened by his untimely end. It was sudden, you say? Yes, indeed. He had heart problems, but on the whole, he had good health. Was he a married man, Dr. Mortimer? He was a widower and childless. He lived very simply. His indoor servants at Baskerville Hall consisted of a couple named Barrymore, the husband acting as butler, and the wife as housekeeper. What happened? Well, the facts are quite simple. On the 4th of May, Sir Charles declared his intention of travelling to London. That evening, while Barrymore prepared his bags... He went out for his usual walk down the U Alley, and he never returned. Who found him? Barrymore, the butler. He became alarmed when he saw the hall door open. He went out with a lantern. Halfway down U Alley, there's a gate that goes out onto the moor. Sir Charles' footprints led there, where it seems he stood and waited for a while. I see. Then the footprints continued, but they appeared to be made by a man who seemed to be... Running for his life? Why, yes. Where did they lead To the far end of the alley, where the body was found. Any signs of violence? No, but his face... His face was incredibly distorted. But such symptoms are not inconsistent with cases of cardiac exhaustion. Yes, that's that's true enough. The post-mortem showed a long-standing organic disease, and the coroner agreed. Those are the public facts. I see. Then can we now have the private ones? He would never go out on the moor at night. One evening, about three weeks before he died, I drove up to his house. He was standing at his hall door. 
Just as I was getting out of my small carriage, I noticed his eyes fixed upon something over my shoulder. He stared with an expression of horror. He seemed so excited and alarmed that I had to go round to the very spot and have a look round. But there was nothing. I had to stay with him all the evening. That's when I suggested that he should go to London. And then at the last instant came this terrible catastrophe. How soon did you see the body? I believe I was there within the hour. I checked and corroborated all the facts which were mentioned at the inquest, the footsteps, the absence of any others, his facial contortion. But Berrymore made one false statement. Oh, and what was that? He said there were no traces upon the ground around the body. He didn't observe any, but I did. Some little distance off, but fresh and clear. Footprints. A man's or a woman's? Mr. Holmes. They were the footprints of a gigantic hound. Great heavens! Aren't there sheepdogs on the moor? Of course, but Mr. Holmes, this was no sheepdog. What is this alley like? There are two rows of dense yew hedge twelve feet high. The hedge is penetrated at one point by a four-foot gate that leads out onto the moor. Four feet, you say? So anyone could have got over it. Yes, that's true. And I believe that Sir Charles stood at the gate for a time, at least five or ten minutes. How do you know that? Because the ash had twice dropped from his cigar. Excellent. Now we're getting somewhere. Watson, this is a colleague after our own heart. What else? Mr. Holmes, several people have seen a creature on the moor. Something that couldn't be any animal known to science. They all agreed that it was huge. Luminous and spectral. And you, a trained man of science, believe it to be supernatural? I don't know what to believe. The footprints were material enough, but so was the original hound. Mr. Holmes, diabolical as it was, it was still able to tear out a man's throat. Dr. Mortimer, by way of explanation, you tell me it's useless to investigate Sir Charles's death. Why have you come to consult me? I haven't come to ask you about Sir Charles, but about Sir Henry Baskerville. Sir Henry? Is he the heir? Yes, he's Sir Charles' nephew, the son of his younger brother. We found him farming in Canada. So he's due to arrive in London? I believe he arrives at Waterloo in just under an hour and a quarter. Uh, There is no other claimant, I presume? None. The only other kinsman whom we have been able to trace was uh, Roger Baskerville, the youngest brother of poor Sir Charles. He was the black sheep of the family. They say he was the very image of the infamous Sir Hugo. He moved to Central America and died of yellow fever. Henry's own father, the middle brother, died young, so he is the last of the Baskervilles. I had a wire that said he arrived at Southampton this morning, and I'm on my way to meet him. Mr. Holmes, what am I to do? I will give it some thought. In the meantime, I suggest you call here at ten o'clock tomorrow morning and bring Sir Henry with you. I'll do that, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Just one more question. You say that before Sir Charles Baskerville's death, several people saw this apparition on the moor. Yes. Did anyone see it afterwards? Oh, let me think. Uh, Not that I've heard. Thank you, Dr. Mortimer. Good day, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. (coughs) Your walking stick? Oh, oh, yes, of course. (laughs) Good day. I'm very much obliged to you. Not at all. The next morning, our clients were punctual. As the clock struck ten, Dr. Mortimer was shown up, followed by the young baronet. 
He was a man of about 30, sturdily built with a weather-beaten appearance of one who had spent most of his time in the open air. This is Sir Henry Baskerville. Good morning. You know, the strange thing is, if my friend hadn't proposed coming round to meet you this morning, I would have come on my own. And why is that? Nothing of much importance, Mr. Holmes. Only a joke in the form of this letter, which reached me this morning. It's addressed, Sir Henry Baskerville, Northumberland Hotel, postmarked Charing Cross, the date of the preceding evening. Who knew you were going to stay there? Well, no one could have known. We only decided after I met Dr. Mortimer. But Dr. Mortimer was already staying there. No, I'd been staying with a friend. I see. Well, somebody seems to be deeply interested in your movements. May I read the letter? Mm, Please do. As you'll see, it's only a single sentence. It seems to be made up of printed words cut out and pasted onto a half sheet of paper. As you value your life or your reason, keep away from the moor. Hmm. The word moor is written in ink. It's the only one. What in thunder is the meaning of that? No watermarks. Now tell me, Sir Henry, has anything of interest happened to you since you've been in London? Mm, Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, Unless you think it's worth reporting that I've lost one of my boots. One boot? Have you indeed? Yes, I put them both outside my door last night, and there was only one there this morning. I couldn't get any sense out of the fellow who cleans them. It seems like a singularly useless thing to steal. I told him it's bound to turn up again. Now, gentlemen, it seems I've spoken enough about what I know. It's time you kept your promise and told me what we're all driving at. I quite agree. Uh, Dr. Mortimer, uh, would you be good enough to tell Sir Henry your story as you told it to us? Uh, By all means. It begins, Sir Henry, with this manuscript, which Mm -hmm. has been in your family for generations. It seems as I've come into an inheritance with a vengeance. Of course, I've heard stories of the hound since I was in the nursery, but I never thought of taking it seriously. As for my uncle's death, uh, it's all still boiling up in my head, and I can't seem to get it clear yet. Understandable. The point we have to decide now is if it's advisable for you to go to Baskerville Hall, since there's evidence of danger. You mean danger from the family fiend or danger from human beings? That's what we have to find out. Well, whatever it is, my answer's fixed. There is no devil in hell, Mr. Holmes, and there's no man on earth who can stop me from going to the home of my people. And you can take that as my final answer. Bravo! Now look, Mr. Holmes, I'd rather like a quiet hour to myself to think about all this. Of course. I'll go back to my hotel. Uh, Why don't you and Watson come lunch with us around, say, two o'clock? Why, thank you. Is that convenient for you, Watson? Hmm? Oh, why, why, yes. Then you may expect us. Shall we call a cab for you? No, no, I I prefer to walk. If you'll join me, Dr. Mortimer. Uh, With pleasure, sir. Well, then, we'll meet again at two. Good morning, gentlemen. Good Good morning. morning. Well, he seems like a good enough chap. Your hat and boots, Watson, quick. Not a moment to lose. Watch at the window to see which way they go while I get my frock coat. Have you you changed your mind? Shall I run them down and stop them? Oh, not for the world, my dear Watson. Oh, you want to follow them? Well, of course. Isn't it clear there are people who wish to do Sir Henry harm? We must shadow them and see what happens. It looks as though they've stopped to look in a shop window. We had better do the same. But this is a women's hat boutique. 
Look what I want with the woman. No, wait. See, that handsome cab has stopped as well. It's following them. Ah, then that's our man. Precisely. Come, let's get a look at him. Holmes, he's signaling the driver to move on. Oh! Because he's seen us. Shall we run after it? No, it's useless. Oh, Watson, if you're an honest man, you can record this and pit it against my successes. All I could see was a long black beard. Quite so. Probably a false one to hide his true features. What a pity we didn't get the number of that cab. My dear Watson, clumsy as I've been, you surely don't think I neglected to get that. Oh, of of course not. 2704 is our man. We will find out by wire the identity of the cabman and arrange for questioning. How could I be so clumsy? Come now, Holmes. I fail to see how you could have done more. It's elementary, Watson. Upon observing the cab, I should have instantly turned and walked in the other direction. I should then, at my leisure, have hired a second cab and followed the first. Or, better still, have driven to the Northumberland Hotel and waited. Should we still follow them? There's no point. Come now, Watson. We'll go to the nearest telegraph office... And then we'll drop into one of the Bond Street picture galleries and fill in the time until we're due at the hotel. Ah, Mr. Holmes. Ah, good afternoon, Sir Henry. Are you aware you were followed once you left my rooms this morning? Oh, by whom? Well, whoever he was, he informed the cabman his name was Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes? Oh, Oh, dear me. <laughs> oh, that's bold. Uh, Dr. Mortimer, is there an acquaintance of yours in Dartmoor who has a black full beard? Uh, hmm, uh, let me see. Uh, oh, yes, uh, Ben and also Charles Butler. He has just such a beard. And tell me about this Barrymore. His family's looked after the hall for four generations now. Sir Henry, did Barrymore profit by Sir Charles's will at all? Um, he and his wife had 500 pounds each. My goodness. What, did they know it was coming to them? Oh, yes. Sir Charles was fond of talking about the provisions of his will. That is very interesting. Uh, I hope you don't look with suspicious eyes upon everyone who received a legacy from Sir Charles. I had a thousand pounds left to me as well. Indeed. And anyone else? Uh, There were many insignificant sums to individuals and a large number of public charities. The residue all went to Sir Henry. Uh, Sir Henry... How much was left to you, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. 740,000 pounds. The total value of the estate was close to a million. Dear me. It is a stake for which a man might well play a desperate game. And one more question, Dr. Mortimer. Supposing that anything happened to our young friend here, you will forgive the unpleasant hypothesis, who would inherit the estate? The estate would descend to the Desmonds, distant cousins. James Desmond is an elderly clergyman in Westmoreland. Tell me, Sir Henry, have the mysterious events of the last few hours caused you to change your mind about Baskerville Hall? They've only made me all the more determined to go down there the very first moment I can. Then I must make one provision. You certainly must not go out on the moor alone. Well, Dr. Mortimer's going with me. Dr. Mortimer has got his practice to attend to, and his house is miles away from yours. With all the goodwill in the world, he may not be able to help you. No, Sir Henry, you must take somebody with you. A trustworthy man who will always be by your side. Um, well, could you possibly come yourself, Mr. Holmes? Well, if matters come to a crisis, I shall certainly be there in person. 
But you can understand that, given my consulting practice, it's impossible for me to be absent from London for an indefinite time. Well, who would you recommend, then? Well, if my good friend Dr. Watson would be willing, well, there's no better man to have at your side when you're in a tight place. No one can say so more confidently than I. Thank you, Holmes. I'd be happy to. Well, that's very kind of you, Dr. Watson. If you'll come down to Baskerville Hall and see me through, I shall never forget it. I'll come with pleasure. I don't know how I could better employ my time. Excellent. Now, Watson, you will report very carefully to me. When a crisis comes, as it most surely will, I shall direct you how to act. Of course. The journey was a swift and pleasant one. I spent it getting acquainted with my two companions. In a very few hours, the city gave itself up to lush grasses and more luxuriant vegetation. Over the green squares of the field, there rose a grey, melancholy hill with a strange, jagged summit, dim and vague in the distance, like some fantastic landscape in a dream. There you are, Sir Henry. There's your first view of the moor. Dartmoor is incredible. This is your homecoming. Yes, but it's more than that. This is where the men of my blood have lived for centuries, and up there is something that has haunted them and driven them to their deaths. I know one thing, gentlemen. Whatever it is that lurks up there, whether it's man or fiend, it's not driving me away. I'm going to face it and beat it. The train pulled up at a small wayside station, and we all descended. Outside, beyond the low white fence, a wagonette with a pair of cobs was waiting. The coachman. A hard-faced, gnarled little fellow saluted Sir Henry Baskerville, and in a few minutes we were flying swiftly down the broad white. Wonderful country, isn't it, Doctor Watson? Oh yes, and I see a touch of autumn in the air. Whoa. Hello, what's this? What's the matter up there on the skyline? It looks like a man on horseback. Oh, he's got a rifle. Ah, oh, there's a convict escaped from prison, sir. Oh. Been out there on the moor for three days now. Warders are watching every road. They've caught no sign of him yet. Well, the farmers back here don't like it, sir. That's a fact. Uh, who is he then? Selden, sir. The Notting Hill murderer. Selden? And he's out there somewhere, hiding in a burrow like a wild beast. It's all this moor needs, gentlemen. I don't know if it's my imagination, but it's getting mighty cold. Welcome, Sir Henry. Welcome to Baskerville Hall. Well, thank you.、Uh, you're Barrymore, I take it. Well, I am. Good to meet you.、Uh, you don't mind my driving straight home, Sir Henry? Surely you'll stay and have some dinner. No, I must go. My wife is expecting me.、Uh, goodbye, and never hesitate to send for me if I can be of service. Au revoir, then, Doctor. Thank you. Just as I imagined it, Doctor. Rafters, oak paneling, stags' heads, coats of arms, and musty stone, waxed wood, and smoke from the great fireplaces. Is it not the very picture of an old family home? To think that this should be the same hall in which, for five hundred years, my people have lived. 
Excuse me, Sir Henry. Oh, yes, Barrymore. My wife and I would be happy to stay with you until you've made arrangements. Arrangements? You mean you both want to leave? Well, only when it's quite convenient for you, sir. Well, I'm sorry that I'll be starting my life here by breaking an old family connection. Oh, I feel that too, sir. And so does my wife. Well, then what's the trouble? Well, to tell the truth, sir, well, we were both very much attached to Sir Charles, and his death gave us a shock, made these surroundings very painful to us. Well, I'm afraid we can never be easy in our minds at Baskerville Hall again. Well, then what do you plan to do? Well, I believe we shall be successful in establishing ourselves in some business. Well, Sir Charles's generosity has given us the means to do it. I see. Though I know, sir, that perhaps I'd better show you the... Good morning, Dr. Watson. Good morning, Sir Henry. Mm, I could use some tea. Mm, There's some coffee on the table. Ah, I suppose that will do. Ah, Thank you. Um, did you happen to hear someone sobbing in the night? Oh, why, yes. Yes, I did. Hmm, that's curious. I thought it was all a dream. Oh, no, I heard it quite distinctly. A woman sobbing. Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, Barrymore, very good breakfast. Uh, tell me, we both thought we heard a woman crying in the night. Do you know anything about it? Oh, no, Sir Henry. Well, there's only two women here at night. The one is the scullery maid, who sleeps in the other wing, and the other is my wife. And I can assure you the sound could not have come from her. Can I bring you more coffee, sir? Oh, no, thank you. Very good, Sir Henry. I don't believe him. And why not? I passed Mrs. Barrymore on the way downstairs. Her eyes were red and swollen. It must have been her. Do you think he was in that cab following me on Regent Street? We'll soon find out. Oh, how? When we left you two at lunch, Holmes sent a telegram here with strict instructions that it was to be delivered personally to Barrymore or returned. I thought I'd walk over to the Grimpen Post Office and have a word with the postmaster. It'll give me something to report to Holmes. Uh, Do you feel like a walk? Uh, No, no. I've got a lot of papers to attend to here. You go on. I'll see you back here after lunch. Think about it. Uh, telegram, yes, certainly, sir. I had the telegram delivered to Mr. Barrymore exactly as directed. Who delivered it? Well, my boy here, James. You delivered that telegram to Mr. Barrymore at the hall last week, did you not? Yes, father, I delivered it. Into his own hands? Well, he was up in the loft at the time, so I gave it to Mrs. Barrymore, and she promised to deliver it at once. Did you see Mr. Barrymore? No, sir. His wife said he was in the loft. Well, didn't he get the telegram? I should think if there's any mistake, it's for Mr. Barrymore himself to complain. Of course. Um, good day, then. Good day to you, sir. Hmm. Another dead end. Uh, excuse me. Hey, Alf. Are you Dr. Watson? Oh, 
Yes, I don't think I've had the pleasure. Please excuse my presumption, Dr. Watson. Here on the moor, we are homely folk and don't wait for formal introductions. You may possibly have heard my name's my mutual friend Mortimer. I am Stapleton of Medford House. Oh, Stapleton. How do you do, sir? I hope Sir Henry is none the worse for his journey. Oh, he is very well, thank you. We are all rather afraid that the new baronet might refuse to live here. It's asking much of a wealthy man to come down and bury himself in a place of this kind, but it means a very great deal to the countryside. Uh, Sir Henry has, I suppose, no superstitious fears in the matter? Oh, I don't think that's likely. Good, good. Now, are you on your way back to Baskerville Hall? That was my intention. Then our roads lie together. Let's see just over there. Under that plume of smoke? Yes, that's where I live, the Medivet House. Oh. It's only a moderate walk along this moor path. That perhaps you will spare an hour that I may have the pleasure of introducing you to my sister. I shall be delighted. Come along, then. Ha. Ah, wonderful place, the moor. I never tire of it. To think what infinite secrets it contains. <laughs> you see, I've been here two years. <laughs> the residents call me a newcomer. <laughs> we came shortly after Sir Charles settled. But my tastes led me to explore every part of the country around. Well, judging by your butterfly net and that tin box at your side... You're a naturalist. Quite right. Some of the locals laugh at me and the tools of my trade, but due to my extensive travels over the moor, I should think that there are few men who know it better than I do. You see this great plain to the north? Do you observe anything remarkable about it? Hmm. Looks like a nice place for a gallop. Oh, it seems there are a few places that look a bit greener than the rest. <laughs> that is the great Grimpen Mire. One false step means certain death to man or beast. Even in dry seasons, it is a danger to cross it. But after these autumn rains, it is an awful place. One careless step on that mire, and you'd sink to the very bottom. Dangerous place, and yet I can find my way to the very heart of it and return alive. Why on earth would you want to go to such a dreadful place? To capture the rarest plants and butterflies. It's like a completely isolated island. You say you know the way there. Yeah, there are one or two paths an active man could follow. Hmm, I shall try them someday. For heaven's sake, you should put such a foolish idea out of your mind. You wouldn't make it out alive. It's only by remembering certain complex landmarks that I am able to do it. Like those stone sheep pens up on the hillside. <laughs> those aren't sheep pens, Dr. Watson. They're the homes of our worthy ancestors. Prehistoric man lived thickly on the moor. Yes, it's quite a town. Yes. What was that? <laughs> a, a queer place, the moor. But what is it? Uh, the peasants say it is the hound of the Baskervilles, calling for its prey. <laughs> now you are an educated man. You don't believe such nonsense as that. Uh, bogs make queer noises sometimes. It's it's the mud settling, or, or the water rising, or, or something. It's the weirdest sound I've ever heard. Ghastly. Oh, 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 excuse me an instant. It is surely Cyclopides. What? A very rare butterfly headed right for the mire. I must catch this one. But, sir... Oh, never mind. I suppose he knows what he's doing. Go back. Go straight back. My word! Madam, you surprised me. Why should I? I can't explain, but for heaven's sake, do as I ask you. Go back and never set foot on the moor again. But I've only just arrived. Oh, quiet. My brother's coming back. Not a word of what I've said. Yes, we are very rich in orchids on the moor, though you're rather late to see most of the beauties of the place. I suppose I am. Better? You have introduced yourselves, I see. I was telling Sir Henry 
that he's arrived rather late to take in the full beauty of the moor. That's not Sir Henry. Oh, no, madam. I'm only his friend, Dr. Watson. Then we've been talking at cross-purposes. You certainly didn't have much time for talk. I meant I talked to Dr. Watson as if he were a resident instead of being merely a visitor. But never mind all that. Dr. Watson, will you come see Merripit House? I'd be glad to. But only a short visit... As I promised Sir Henry, I'd return very soon. Good enough. The path is this way. My dear Holmes, I waited until tonight to finish this letter to you as I didn't wish to arouse Sir Henry's caution or alarm. I told him about when I first met the Stapletons, but not about Beryl's strange warning when she thought I was Sir Henry. At Merripit House, I learned that Stapleton had been a schoolmaster in the north. The work was very dear to him. When three of the boys died from a strange epidemic, he never recovered from the blow. I concluded my visit with a promise to look over his specimens at a future date, and made my way back towards Baskerville Hall. Prior to reaching the main road, I was met once again by Beryl. She had run and cut me off to apologize for her mistake, and to tell me to think no more on what she had said. I attempted to question her further, but it was useless. Returning to the hall, I found Sir Henry in excellent spirits. Since then, Sir Henry has met most of his new neighbors, as well as the Stapletons. In fact, today Mr. Stapleton and his handsome sister are joining us for luncheon with Dr. Mortimer. Unfortunately, this may present a further complication, as if we had not enough. Sir Henry has shown a rather obvious attraction for Beryl, which seems to unnecessarily upset Stapleton. Otherwise, nothing more of consequence. Oh, as I write these words, it's nearly... Oh my, two o'clock in the morning. Who's that? Ah, Sir Henry. Anything wrong? I'm not sure. There was a creaking in the passage outside. I saw a candle and a shadow. Oh, well, let's go see. Yes. doing here? Oh, nothing, sir. He must have been holding that candle as a signal. Give me that. Hand it over. It's not a signal, sir. I said give it here. Hold it up to the window, Sir Henry. Let's see if there's an answer. See? There it is. By Jove, yes. Barrymore, do you still deny it's a signal? It's my business, sir, not yours. What? What? Well, then, by thunder, you'll leave my employment in the morning. Come, Watson, bring your revolver. I have it with me. I'm going to have a chat with that man out there, whoever he may be. This is terrific wind, Watson! Yes, quite! Now where do you think that light came from? By that group of Neolithic rock circles over there. All right. Good heavens, what was that? I don't know. But I've heard it once before. It's a sound they hear on the wall. Watson, it was the cry of a hound. The hound of the Baskervilles.
now, Barrymore. To whom were you signaling? Dr. Watson and I went out onto the moor and we found remnants of food, clothing, and shelter. Clothing that bears my markings. Who left them there? Oh, don't ask me, Sir Henry. Oh, please don't ask. I give you my word. It's not my secret. By thunder, Barrymore, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Your family has lived under this roof with mine for over a hundred years. And here I find you deep in some plot against me. No. No, sir, not against you. Mrs. Barrymore, why have you come here? Please, let me speak. It's my doing, Sir Henry. He's done nothing except for my sake. I asked him to do it. Then tell me, what does it all mean? My brother is starving out there on the moor. Your brother? Oh, we can't let him perish at our very gate, sir. Please understand. Well, then your brother is... He's the escaped convict, sir. Selden, the criminal. There, there, my dear. Is this true, Barrymore? Yes, sir. Every word of it. I see. Well, I can't blame you for standing by your wife. But think of his danger to the public. Oh, he'll only be there for a few more days, sir. He's planning to go to South America, and he's laying low until the ship is ready for him. Oh, I beg you not to let the police know he's still on the moor. Please, please don't. You've been awfully quiet, Dr. Watson. What's your opinion? Oh, dear. Well, once he was safely out of the country, he would no longer be a threat. Nor a burden to the taxpayers. But what if he commits a crime in the meantime? Well, there's little chance of that, sir. Well, he's doing all he can not to attract attention to himself. I suppose that's true. All right. Oh, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. (laughs) Well, I guess we're aiding and abetting a felony. Hey, Watson? Sir Henry? Yes, Barrymore. Oh, you've been so kind to us. I should like to return the favor. You see, I know something. Something... It's about Sir Charles's death. What? Do you know how he died? No, I don't know that. But I know why he was at the gate. He was to meet a woman. Well, I don't know her name, sir. But I know her initials were L.L. How do you know that? Well, your uncle had a letter that morning from Coombe Tracy. And it were addressed in a woman's hand. Well, I thought no more of the matter. Until the other day, when my wife were cleaning out Sir Charles's study, and she found the ashes of a letter in the back of the grate. Well, most of it were charted pieces, but there were one slip you could still read. What did it say? It said, please, please, as you are a gentleman, burn this letter and be at the gate by ten o'clock. Beneath it were signed the initials L.L., I hope that helps you find what truly happened to your uncle. And pardon me if I say this, our friend. Well, very good, Barrymore. You and your wife may go. Thank you, sirs. Oh, hello, Dr. Mortimer. Yes, I've been right around the Black Tour. Well, then let me give you a lift home. Ah, thank you. All set? Ah, yes. Thank you. Yep. 
Oh, I'm very upset, Dr. Watson. My spaniel has disappeared. Oh? Yes, the little curly chap wandered off into the moor and never came back. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Any news from Sherlock Holmes? No. He acknowledges my reports, but he doesn't say much. Say, Mortimer, do you know a woman living around here with the initials L.L.? No, not that I know of. Oh, L.L. Are you sure? Oh, oh, wait a moment. Yes, of course there is. Lord Alliance of Coombe Tracy. Who is she? Married some artist fellow who came to sketch on the moors. He walked out on her, and now the poor girl earns a living with a small typewriting business. Many of us banded together to help her get back on her feet. Mr. Stapleton, Sir Charles, and myself. Why do you ask? Oh, just curiosity. Mrs. Lyons? I don't believe we've met. Mr... Doctor. Dr. Watson. How do you do? It was about the late Sir Charles Baskerville that I came to see you. What can I tell you about him? You knew him, didn't you? Yes. I owe a great deal to his kindness. Did you ever correspond with him? Yes. I did write once or twice to Sir Charles to acknowledge his generosity... How did he know enough about your affairs to help you? Oh, through my friend, Mr. Stapleton. Did you ever write to Sir Charles asking him to meet you? Really, sir? Certainly not. Not on the very day of Sir Charles's death? <gasps> no. Surely your memory deceives you. Didn't you write, Please, please burn this letter and meet me at the gate by ten o'clock? Yes. Oh, why didn't he... I assure you. He did burn the letter, Mrs. Lyons. I quoted only what was rescued from the ashes. What happened when you got there? Well, I never went. Something intervened to prevent my going. What? You may have heard. I made bad decisions. I had a chance to put my life back together, and I hoped that I could appeal to Sir Charles personally in order to ask for the last of what I needed to start this business. So you didn't get the money from Sir Charles? Oh, no, at the last minute I received the funding from another source. Why didn't you notify Sir Charles? Well, I was going to write him a letter, but the next morning, well, I heard he died. Ah, Dr. Watson. I was beginning to think you got lost on the moor. Oh, <laughs> no, no. I went for a short trip to Coombe Tracy. It took slightly longer than I expected. Uh, excuse me, sirs. Will Dr. Watson be having lunch? Oh, no, thank you, Barrymore. But I will have some more of that pudding. Oh, very good, sir. I beg your pardon, sir, but I wanted to wait until Dr. Watson returned. I have some news from my brother-in-law. He is leaving, I take it. Not yet. He tells us there's another man on the moor. Another man? A convict, no doubt. Oh, no, sir. Not a convict. He's huddled up in one of those stone huts, and there's a boy from another village who takes him food every day. That's all we need. Does he know who he is? Oh, no, sir. He doesn't like it, and neither do we. Waiting for something he is. No good. He's up to no good, that's for sure. Dr. Watson, who could it be? Maybe it's the same fellow who was following you around in London. Mm, could be. 
I'll send a message to Holmes by telegraph, and then go out onto the moor and investigate. Oh, let me go with you. I can't permit it. Holmes was very clear in his last message. You are to stay off the moor, especially at night, and it will certainly be dark by the time I get there. But Watson, what if you're... Don't worry. I'll take my revolver. If you're sure. Do you realize this man could be the key to the whole thing? Yes. He may have slipped from our grasp in London, but he won't do it up there. <laughs> Who knows? For once, I may succeed where even Holmes has failed. With my nerves tingling and my revolver trembling in my hands, I waited in the dark recesses of the hut for its tenant to return. Then I heard it. At last. Be so good as to lower your gun, Watson. My word. It's a lovely evening. I believe you'd be more comfortable outside the hut. Holmes! I've never been more happy to see anyone in all my life. Likewise. How did you know I was in there waiting for you? Watson, if you truly want to surprise me, the first thing you should do is change your tobacconist. Oh, dear. I had a cigarette on my way up here. And you no doubt threw the end on the ground the moment you charged into the hut. I thought you were still on Baker Street working on that blackmailing case. Well, that's what I wanted you to think. So, where did you go today? Oh, uh, to Coombe Tracy to visit Mrs. Laura Lyons. Well done. We've obviously been working along parallel lines. What did you learn? She made an appointment with Sir Charles to meet him at the gate. Why? She wanted money to help her divorce and to start her business. But she never went. Something happened to make her change her mind, but she didn't tell me exactly what. She also said that she first got in touch with Sir Charles through Stapleton. Stapleton? Oh, now that's important. It bridges the gap. You're aware there's a close intimacy between the lady and Stapleton? No, I, I had no idea. Well, there's no doubt about it. And this puts a powerful weapon in our hands. If I can only use it to detach Stapleton's wife. Wife? Stapleton's married? Yes. The lady who passes for his sister is his wife. Good heavens! Why the elaborate deception? Because he foresaw that she'd be more used to him if she were to appear as a free woman. Was he the man following Sir Henry in London? Well, that's how I read the riddle. Ah, Stapleton. So the warning letter. It may have come from Beryl. Precisely. But, Holmes, how on earth do you know this woman is his wife? Elementary, Watson. Because when he first met you, he forgot himself enough to give you a true piece of autobiography. Really? What was that? There's no one easier to trace than a schoolmaster. I see. Then what's Stapleton after? Murder, Watson. Refined, cold-blooded, calculated murder. What was that? The hound. Yes, Watson, the hound is quite real. That last one. That was a cry of a man. Hurry. The sounds came from this direction. There it is again. The hound. Did you hear that? He's beaten us, Watson. Surely not. Oh, fool that I was to hold my hand. And you, Watson, see what comes of abandoning your charge. 
But by heaven, if the worst has happened, we'll avenge him. Hurry! Poor, poor Sir Henry. That's the very suit he wore when we met us in London. Do you remember, Watson? Looks like he fell at least 20 feet from that cliff. Oh, from here his skull looks crushed. Oh, the brute. Holmes, I shall never forgive myself. I'm more to blame than you, Watson. How could I know he'd risk his life on the moor after all the warnings I'd given him? Then we should have heard his screams. By thunder, those screams, and yet unable to save him. Where is that hound that drove him to this? He could be lurking in the rocks among there. Where's Stapleton? He shall answer for this. He certainly shall. I'll personally see to that. His cottage is south of here. You can see the lights on in his window. Shall we visit him at once? No. Our case is not complete. The fellow is wary and cunning to the last degree. If we make one false move, the villain may escape us yet. Of course. What can we do? There will be plenty for us to do tomorrow. Tonight... We can only perform the last offices to our poor friend. Help me turn him over. All right. Uh, we can't possibly drag him back to town ourselves. <laughs> Holmes, are you all right? Perhaps the shock has been too great for you. Here, sit down and loosen your collar. No, Watson, look. This man has a beard. A beard? Well, this man isn't the baronet at all. But who could he... Why, it's my neighbor. Oh. The convict. But he's wearing Sir Henry's clothing and his boots. Well, think about it, Watson. What did you tell me in a recent letter about the Barrymores? Of course. Barrymore must have passed Sir Henry's old suits on to Selden. Then the clothes have been the poor fellow's death. How so? By their scent. It is clear enough that the hound has been laid on from some article of Sir Henry's. Perhaps the boots stolen at the hotel. Probably. Someone's coming. Why? It's Stapleton himself. By all that's wonderful and audacious. Not a word to show your suspicions. Not a word, or our plans crumble to the ground. Hi, Dr. Watson. Is that you? Oh, dear, what's this somebody had? No, don't tell me it's our friend Sir Henry. What a terrible... One moment. He... He's not Sir Henry. Uh, Who is he? Selden. The man who escaped from Princetown. Dear me. But but how? Well, he he appears to have broken his neck by running off that small cliff. My friend and I were strolling out on the moor when we heard a cry. So did I. Uh, That's what brought me out. I was uneasy about Sir Henry. Why Sir Henry in particular? Because I suggested that he should come over tonight. I see. What's your theory about his death, Mr. Holt? You're quick at identification. You've been expected since Dr. Watson arrived. I shall take this unpleasant remembrance with me back to London tomorrow. Oh, you return tomorrow? That is my intention. Uh, and, and I must return to my sister. Uh, good night, Mr. Holmes. Goodbye, sir. Good night, Dr. Watson. What nerve that fellow has. We're at close grips at last. Sorry he's seen you. So was I at first. But there was no getting out of it. How will it affect him, do you think? It may make him more cautious, or it may drive him to desperate measures. Like most clever criminals, he may become too confident and imagine he's completely deceived us. 
So, will you come to the hall? Yes. I see no reason for further concealment. But one last word, Watson. Say nothing of the hound to Sir Henry. Let him think that Selden's death was an accident. When we returned to the hall, I had the unenviable task of breaking the news of Selden's death to the Barrymores. Sir Henry was more pleased than surprised to see Holmes, but he raised his eyebrows when he learned that my friend brought no luggage nor an explanation for his absence. Between us, we soon supplied his wants and sat down to a belated supper. Mm. Uh, by the way, Sir Henry, I don't suppose you appreciate that we've been mourning over you as having broken your neck. How's that? Well, this poor wretch was dressed in your clothes. I fear your servant who gave them to him may get into trouble with the police. Now, that is unlikely. There's no mark on any of them as far as I know. Oh, that's lucky for him. How about the case? If you can muzzle that hound and put him on a chain, I'll be ready to swear you're the greatest detective of all time. I think I can do it, if you give me your help. I'll do whatever you tell me. Very good. I shall ask you to do it blindly, with no question. Of course. Good. Now, this... Hmm. Interesting. What's the matter, Holmes? Excuse the admiration of a connoisseur, but I couldn't help but notice your family's portraits. Uh, they are all of your family, correct? Every one. Barrymore's been coaching me on who they are. Good, good. Now, who's the gentleman with the black velvet and lace? Ah, you have a right to know about him. That is the cause of all this mischief, the wicked Hugo, who started the Hound of the Baskervilles. We're not likely to forget him. I see. He seems such a meek, mild-mannered man. I had pictured him as a more robust and ruffinly person. There's no doubt about it. That is Sir Hugo's portrait. Oh, it looks like we're out of wine. I'll fetch another bottle as I've given Barrymore the night off. Back in a moment. Watson. Yes? Does that portrait of Sir Hugo look like anyone you know? Well... Looks like... Oh, by Jove! It could be a very portrait of... Yes, Watson. An interesting example of a throwback, both physical and spiritual. I'd say our man is a Baskerville. With designs on succession. Yes, exactly. We have him, Watson. We have him. <laughs> Here's another bottle. Say, you two look like a general and his chief of staff planning a battle. You could say that. Well, what are my orders? I understand that tomorrow night you're to dine with the Stapletons. Yes, they're very hospitable people. I hope you'll come too. No, I'm afraid that Watson and I must return to London. To London? Tomorrow? My dear fellow, you must trust me implicitly. You can tell them that urgent business called us back to London. If you insist, Mr. Holmes. One more direction. I wish you to drive to Merripit House. Once there, send back your carriage... And tell them that you intend to walk home. Walk home? But that's the very thing you told me not to do. This time you may do it with safety. If I had not every confidence in your nerve and courage, I would not suggest it. But it is essential that you should do it. Then I will. As you value your life, do not go across the moor in any direction, save along the straight path which leads from Merripit House to the Grimpen Road. I will do just what you say. The next morning, we went to the train station at Coombe Tracy. But instead of taking the train back to London, 
Holmes inquired at the station master's office and was given a telegram. What have you got there, Holmes? Excellent. Yes, most excellent. It says, wire received, coming down with unsigned warrant, arrive 5.40, Lestrade. You sent for Lestrade? Yes, I think we may need his assistance. So we're not going back to London? No, but everything depends on Sir Henry believing that we have. I think we cannot employ our time better than by calling upon Mrs. Laura Lyons. When she learns of Stapleton's deception, the result may help our case even more. What do you mean he's married? He lives with his sister. No, she's his wife. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, and if you can, do so. I have come prepared to do so. Now, here is a photograph of the couple taken in York four years ago. It isn't... It isn't... It's endorsed Mr. and Mrs. Vandalore. But don't you recognize him? And her also. Uh, Mr. Holmes, this man offered me marriage on condition that I could get a divorce from my husband. He has lied to me in every conceivable way. Ask me what you like. The sending of the letter was suggested to you by Stapleton? Yes, he dictated it. I presume that the reason he gave was that you would receive help from Sir Charles for the legal expenses connected with your divorce. Exactly. And then after you sent the letter, he dissuaded you from keeping the appointment? He told me that it would hurt his self-respect that any other man should provide the money for such a goal. And then you heard nothing until you read the reports of the death in the paper. That's correct. He made me swear to say nothing about my appointment with Sir Charles. Did he? He said that the death was a very mysterious one, that if I spoke out, I should certainly be suspected of murder. I think that on the whole, you've had a very fortunate escape. There he is. Uh, good evening, Lestrade. Hello, Holmes. Got anything good, gentlemen? Oh, the biggest thing for years. But we'll start by getting some dinner. Ah, suits me. And then, Lestrade, we'll take the London fog out of your throat by giving you a breath of the pure night air of Dartmoor. Uh, never been to Dartmoor. No, it may be unforgettable. This way, Lestrade. Keep close to the moor path. Right behind you, Holmes. I must ask you to walk on tiptoe and not to raise your voices. We are roughly 200 yards from Merripit House. These rocks upon the right make an admirable screen. We are away here. Yes. We shall make our little ambush here. Get into this hollow, Lestrade. Watson. Creep forward quietly and see what they're doing. But for heaven's sake, don't let them know they are watched. Back in a moment. Well, Watson? Only two men in the room. Sir Henry and Stapleton. Stapleton was talking with animation, but the baronet looked pale and distraught. What about the lady? I didn't see her at all. Really? As I watched them, Stapleton left Sir Henry for a moment and went to an outhouse in the corner of the orchard. I heard a curious scuffling noise from within. How long was he in there? Only a minute or two. Then I heard him come out and go back to the house to rejoin the baronet. Else, 
Looks like the fog is drifting up toward us from the mire. Oh, confound it. Is it serious, Holmes? Yes. It could ruin all our plans. What's the time? Ten o'clock. Our success, and even his life, may depend upon his coming out before the fog is over the path. If he isn't out soon, the path will be covered, and we won't be able to see our hands in front of us. Why doesn't he leave? What's that? The front door. Yes, it's it's a hench. Quiet. Thank you, Stapleton. I had a wonderful dinner. I'm sorry your sister wasn't able to join us. These things happen, Sir Henry. Just stay on the path and you'll be home before you know it. Thank you again. And good night. Good night. Here he comes. Should I call to him? No. But you and Lestrade should have your pistols ready. He's coming, Watson. There. He's looking over his shoulder. He's terrified. Holmes, we should let him know we're here. No, Watson. This is the moment. The supreme moment. Quiet. The hound. It's coming after him. But where? Confound this fog. Holmes, look there. I thought as much. An enormous coal black hound. But not just any hound, Holmes. Fire is bursting from its open mouth. Its eyes are glowing. It's it's like something out of hell. Oh, no, no. It's got me. It's got me. Oh, God. Oh, well done, Lestrade. The hound is water. Indeed. Quickly, Watson. Quickly. There. The hound is about to pounce. Holmes, you're the closest. I have you now. Watson, see to Sir Henry. He's fainted, but I think he'll be fine. Give him my brandy flask. Ah, thank you, Lestrade. Oh, my God. What was it? What in heaven's name was it? It's dead. Tonight, we've laid to rest the family ghost once and forever. Look at the size of it. But it glows. Even now, the mouth is on fire. Look at the eyes. Oh, yes. Don't, don't, don't touch it, Watson. Oh, it's quite all right. See? Phosphorus. A cunning preparation of it. There is no smell which might have interfered with his power of scent. We owe you a deep apology, Sir Henry, for having exposed you to this fright. And I was prepared for a hound, but not for such a creature as this. And the fog gave us little time to receive him. Oh, you... You've saved my life. Having first endangered it. Are you strong enough to stand? Give me another mouthful of that brandy and I'll be ready for anything. Quite. Here you are. Mm. Now, if you'll help me up, what do you propose to do? To leave you here. You're not fit for further adventures tonight. If you will wait, one or the other of us will go back with you to the hall. Good enough. We have our case. And now we only want our man. Watson? Lestrade? We haven't a moment to lose. It's a thousand to one. But let's go back to Merripit House. Just as I suspected. The front door is wide open. Eh, our shots warned him. He's probably out on the moor. Listen. What's that? A uh, stomp and a buying and coming from inside the house. Come on. It's behind this door. Stand back. I'll kick it in. 
Why, it's Mrs. Stapleton. Uh, quick, help me loosen the ropes and remove the gag. The brute. My brandy bottle again, Holmes. Of course. Thank you. Uh, put her in the chair before she faints completely. Holmes, she's coming around. Is he, is he safe? Has he escaped? He cannot escape us, madam. No. No, I didn't mean my husband. Sir Henry, is he safe? Yes. And the hound? It is dead. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Oh, you see how he has treated me. And these are just the bruises on my arms. Ghastly. These are nothing compared to my mind and soul. Tortured, defiled. But I could endure it all as long as I could cling to the hope that I had his love. But now, now I know differently. Well, then help us. Tell us where we shall find him. If you have ever aided him in evil, help us now, and so atone. There's only one place he would have fled. There's an old tin mine on an island in the heart of the mire. It was there that he kept his hound, and there also he had made preparations so that he might have a refuge. Look out there. The fog, like white wool upon the window. See? No one could find his way into the Grimpen Mire tonight. He may find his way in, but never out. How can he see the wands guiding him tonight? We planted them together, he and I, to mark the pathway through the mire. Lestrade, you stay here with Beryl. Right, Elms. Watson and I will take Sir Henry back to Baskerville Hall. The next morning, Mrs. Stapleton guided Holmes, Lestrade, and myself to the edge of the bog. We left her standing upon a thin peninsula of firm, peaty soil, which tapered out into the widespread bog. From the end of it, a small wand planted here and there showed where the safe path zigzagged among those green-scummed pits and foul quagmires. It gripped our heels as we walked, as if some malignant hand was tugging us down. Almost there. How are we doing, Lestrade? Uh, I'll be glad when we're on dry land again. I must agree with you. Uh, hello. What's that? What's what? Something jet black, sticking out of the muddy bog, just three feet from the path. Oh, you don't know if it's actually going to be... It's not. Uh, uh, but but I've got it. Holmes, give me your hand before you sink. Uh, take uh, this uh, first. Uh, got it, Holmes. Now give us your hand. Oh, you're slippery. Grab a sleep. Let's go. Oh, hello there. Goodness. Oh. Uh, well, I must say... I don't think I could have gotten out of there without your help. Uh, don't mention it. What you find, Elves? A boot. Oh. <laughs> You've risked your life for an old boot. Well, not just any boot, Watson. Look at the label. There. Myers. <gasps> Toronto. Yes. It was certainly worth a mud bath. It's our friend Sir Henry's missing boot. That man Stapleton must have thrown it in his flight. Exactly. He retained it in his hand after using it to set the hound upon the track. He fled when he knew the game was up, still clutching it. And it was here that he hurled it away. Well, we know at least that he came so far in safety. Let's see what else we can learn. But more than that, we were never destined to know. As we at last reached firmer ground, we all looked eagerly for Stapleton's trail. But no slightest sign met our eyes. We eventually found the island where he kept the hound. We found tins of luminescent paint. We found many gnawed bones, and even the remains of Dr. Mortimer's spaniel. 
Put another log in the fire, will you, Watson? Of course. What an adventure, eh, Mr. Holmes? Yes. Yes, it was, Sir Henry. There's one thing that puzzles me. Nobody seemed to notice that Stapleton looked exactly like Sir Hugo. Until you did, that is. Yes. And he was, in fact, a Baskerville by blood. The very son of Roger Baskerville. My cousin. I would have shared it with him gladly. He probably never thought of that. And he never thought of the questions that would be raised if he suddenly turned up to claim his inheritance after living under an assumed name for so long. Of course. Each detail was carefully planned. Every conceivable event, save for how to achieve his goal. Well, that flaw of logic, gentlemen, was why this case was so difficult. His ultimate plan was doomed. Thank goodness. Somewhere in the heart of that great Grimpen Mire, down in the foul slime of the huge morass which had sucked him in, that cold and cruel-hearted man is forever buried. Oh. I'm for a change of subject. <laughs> oh, dear. I got carried away for a moment, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. Sir Henry, tell me again about this world cruise you plan to take. If you go to Japan, there's a place I simply must recommend. You just heard the last of three parts of The Hound of the Baskervilles, including elements recorded in front of a studio audience on September 21st and October 5th, 2003, in Arlington, Texas. It was produced in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art. Executive producer is Shannon Froelich. Production manager is Ken Rainey. Original music was by Lucien Dessar. It featured the voice talents of Louis Alford, Brandy Andrade, David Grant, Gary Layton, and Spencer Prokop. Live sound effects were created by Jennifer Parson and Ken Rainey. It was produced, engineered, and under the direction of Richard Froelich. The Texas Radio Theater Company performs new plays regularly at and in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art. Be sure to check our website at www.texasradiotheater.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed our show this week. I'm Richard Froelich, and on behalf of our cast and crew, thanks for tuning in.